Hi, Alistair. Morning, everyone. I'll just, oh, morning, afternoon, rather, ahead of myself. Um, if everyone could just make sure that they're on mute, if possible, um, we will start in just a couple of minutes' time. Give it a couple more minutes for everyone to join. And I'll just give it one more minute. So I think we'll uh, go ahead and get started. So uh, welcome everyone to the Graduate Recruiters Network's Great Debate. Uh, we will be discussing managing intergenerational differences in the workplace today. Uh, we are joined by Dr. Arlene Egan, um, who I'll introduce to you all shortly. Um, just a couple of housekeeping bits. Uh, we are recording today, so if you would like to remain off screen, please do turn off your camera. Um, and if you could all make sure you're on mute, that would be amazing. Um, you can utilise the chat function on Teams. Uh, Dan Hawes will be monitoring this throughout for any additional questions. Um, before we get on to the topic, it's good to let take a look at who is joining us today. So uh, as you'll see, we have a number of acquisition advisors, HR leads, careers consultants, and many more from businesses of all sizes across a number of different sectors, uh, a few of which you'll see at the bottom of the screen here, you may recognize, um, you're all in the right place. So that's a start. Uh, for those of you that might be new uh, to Graduate Recruiters Network, uh, a little run through an introduction about us and what we do. Uh, we've been running since 2009, uh, bringing together early talent, careers leads, HR advisors, um, with the emphasis on members sharing best practice in a confidential environment. We've got just shy of 4,000 members, seven of which are new in the last month. We work with a number of FTSE 100, Fortune 500 and fast growing firms across all sectors. Um, and members of our Graduate Recruiters Network can benefit from invites to webinars, uh, in-person events, which you'll hear more about later, uh, the LinkedIn forum, WhatsApp group and many more. We do also have a VIP members uh, membership, which you can find out more about if you just pop myself or Dan uh, a message. A little bit more about me. Uh, you've probably not met me yet. I've been here for a few months. Um, 
loving the industry I'm I'm new to it but learning very very quickly uh, I graduated in 2020 with a first class honours degree in journalism and media studies uh, I've got wealth of experience in copywriting uh, strategy and creating engaging marketing campaigns and brand development I currently head up our advertising and attraction for our RPO division and I work with clients like Bank of America, Brit Insurance, Brennershaw, Police Now and Unlocked. Uh, so why managing intergenerational differences? We have had a number of questions from members um, and we've seen it in well some of the headlines that you can see on the screen here, uh, namely Forbes, HR News and the Harvard Business Review. Um, there's been a lot of industry-wide coverage about the challenges that a lot of businesses are facing uh, with the five generations in the workplace. Um, so many of you have submitted questions. We'll be working through some of those today, but please do feel free to pop any in the chat. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Dan Hawes will be monitoring that quite closely. Um, so do just pop anything in there. Um, if we don't have time to make it through everything today, which I'm sure we won't, it's a very, very broad topic. Uh, Dr. Arlene Egan has confirmed that she will be available through our LinkedIn Graduate Recruiters Network Forum uh, for any additional questions that you might have within the next kind of 24 hours following. We know it can get your brain ticking, so please do let us know if there's anything that you feel we've missed. Um, so I'd like to formally introduce you to Dr. Arlene Egan. Uh, with over 25 years of experience in leadership management and development, Arlene has worked with boards, C-suites and leadership teams to identify the right learning environment to promote an engaging and development uh, kind of area. With a particular passion for learning, leadership and transformation, Arlene is an active researcher in this field. Um, so there's no one better really for us to speak to uh, than Arlene for this. Um, we have identified three kind of key themes. Like I said, this is a very broad topic. So we will be working to these three key themes today. Um, but as I mentioned, any additional um, spaces that you feel haven't been covered, uh, we can pick up on afterwards. Uh, we'll be covering equity, diversity and inclusion and the links to intergenerational differences, uh, challenges managing intergenerational differences, particularly from kind of a management and leadership perspective and the impact of hybrid working on intergenerational differences. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to stop sharing my screen and we're going to open the questions to Arlene. So one of the first questions that we have that I think is probably a really good starting point is from Victoria from Lloyd's Banking Group and they asked, typically intergenerational differences are seen as a blocker and cause friction. How do you recommend we change this narrative to enable colleagues to appreciate the benefits different experiences and perspectives can offer? Brilliant. Thank you very much. And it's lovely to be here with you this afternoon. So thank you for having me. Um, and, and this is you know, such a powerful topic for organisations as well. So great question. Um, and I suppose the first thing to think about is that difference is always hard in organisations. So you know, anybody that's in ED&I, anybody that's driving these agendas, now, even the fact if we can call the elephant in the room, really ED&I shouldn't be owned by one person in an organization or a team. It should actually be 
a way. It should be, you know, it should be an approach um, that an organisation has rather than the responsibility or accountable uh, accountable to a particular team. So when we think about the blockers, sometimes it has to start off with how open is your organisation really to you know, understanding what this difference is in terms of where we might need to work harder uh, in order to, to work differently, but also to understand the benefits. And you know, it's not just now that we're talking about the benefits of diversity on a team. When innovation, a number of years back, when innovation was the buzzword, you know, there was so much information, so many studies done on the power of diversity um, and trying to challenge thinking. A lot of organisational success, as we know, will come from where climate and culture is being led. And often the strongest influencer for that is at the top. So, you know, if we can see and we've all seen cases, I'm sure, where hires look very similar in terms of demographics and, and across so many de demographics. And, you know, traditionally, people at particular uh, generation, particular stages of their career, it's been harder for them to get jobs, whether that's starting off in career, early career, or whether that's later career. You know, there's there's biases uh, that we're dealing with all the time. So in terms of the blockers, really, the first thing to do is to understand what what actually those blockers are. What are we dealing with? Is it is it old school leadership teams? Is it cognitive biases and assumptions that we hold? Is it a lack of energy and enthusiasm to be able to actually deal with this difference um, and to really understand how we can maximize it? So, you know, in terms of changing the narrative, so part, first of all, we'd always say, understand what the real challenge is, understand what the real problem is, and then work to see what kinds of solutions can be generated. In terms of changing the narrative, you know, we always look to evidence, right? So, you know, what organizations are out there that are doing this really well? You know, what, who is the leader in this space? And again, depending on the tech, the industry that you find yourself in, you know, you might be aware of people within your industry doing this very well or initiatives that are going on in your industry to do this very well. And if not in your industry, then, you know, how do you become a leader in your industry? Where else can you look to see? At the end of the day, business for most of us is people. And every organization is dealing with people, you know, so at, at, to some degree. So, you know, there are people, there are organizations that are taking this extremely seriously from, you know, the uh, employee value proposition that they put out into the world, the stories they tell themselves and the lived experience that people have when they join those organizations. So these stories are being shared more often. So it's easier to get, you know, stories of data, but really understanding the value that, um, a narrative around openness, diversity to different generations, as well as, of course, uh, the EDI agenda across the board. Now, this is a really good starting point. But really, I'd say step one, understand the problem. What, what's the issue that you're dealing with? And then it's easier to find that solution because you're going to have different blockers or different types of blockers in different organisations. Yeah. And I think a lot of those um, naturally from the reading that I've done and, and the research on this topic, there's quite a lot of kind of mentions of uh, stereotypes and how those stereotypes really are kind of at the core of uh, the kind of blocker of communication, I guess. Communication is absolutely everything. And if we don't know or understand each other's communication forms, that obviously causes a bigger issue. Um, there is a lot of questions and, and a lot of talk in in the media about um, 
reverse mentoring. What's your take on reverse mentoring, Arlene? It's reverse mentoring can be an extremely powerful tool. It can also be an extremely cost effective tool. So for organizations that don't have high budgets for learning and development or, you know, different kinds of of uh, development programs, reverse mentoring is something to consider. In terms of doing reverse mentoring right, you really need to understand how people can help each other across the organization. And for anyone who's unfamiliar, we're already assuming that everybody knows about this. Uh, really, it's about when, you know, when we mentor in, when we mentor backwards. So when you take somebody, in this case, you take somebody at you know, a later stage of their career and somebody at a, an earlier stage of the career, and that later stage person is learning skills from that younger person. Now, when you say it, and when you think about the potential power of this method of learning, you know, if we know, you know, this is the industry I'm in, we know nobody ever remembers what was on slide six of a development program, right? That's just not how learning works. Yeah. We know that learning happens through relationships, through stories, through experiences and through interactions. So imagine the power of somebody who's early career, maybe new into that career, helping change the work practices of somebody who's who's got so much experience in, in other um, parts of their work to really make a difference to that person. But it doesn't just go that way. When reverse mentoring becomes part of the culture of an organization, the value of that initiative can be seen at all levels because you're breaking down barriers, not only from a learning and development perspective, a skills and performance perspective, you're breaking down barriers in relationships. You're having different generations have different kinds of conversations and ultimately finding out where there's potentially more common uh, common ground, then there might be difference. And again, a lot of, you know, I'm sure I don't have to tell most of the people on this call because this is your life. But, you know, whenever you're dealing with talent, a lot of um, work is done to try to help people understand how we share a common goal, what we all bring to this common goal. And again, reverse mentoring, you know, I've seen it really, really powerfully done across a lot of different organizations. So I used to work in animation. I used to head up um, an animation, the L&D function for an animation studio. And, you know, when younger artists would come in uh, with different, te different techniques, little hacks we probably call them now for you know getting things done and being able to share this with more seasoned artists who you know are such like their craft is you know it's unbelievable incredible there's yeah. still something to learn there's still something to learn and and again you know across the board we, we can see impact when it's done well it does need to be done well and the word of caution i would say is when i've seen this not done well is because people really haven't bought into the value of the skill set that people you know that they're they're trying to mentor on so it's very very important you have willing mentees uh, and mentors in this situation as you would in any other situation yeah i think setting purpose is always good for actually achieving what you set out to do i guess we, we all need it to remind us why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so I think some of the similar questions that have kind of come off of that are particularly about retaining junior staff. So in terms of age diversity within teams, how is how important is that, would you say, to retain yeah. junior staff? Interesting. The retention of junior staff now, there's a lot of variables potentially at play. Okay. Yeah. So the makeup of the team that they're on may be one aspect. You know, if we also know that there's different trends 
in how people are working and there's different expectations that people have coming into roles now. So, you know, if we understand, um, and again, international research would suggest that if we were to look at generational categories, we see the likes of Generation Z wanting much more of a portfolio career. Now, is an organisation breaking their back to try to keep these people who already have their roadmaps laid out, their, you know, five, 10, 15 year goals planned out? Probably yeah. not. So the best thing that they can do, any organization can do in terms of retention is to really help to understand how those people can leave your organization absolutely flourishing. So they tell their friends about your organization and, you know, you're able to keep that that pipeline going. So in some aspects, uh, organizations don't have control over how long junior talent is going to stay. In other times, when we think about the culture and the climate that people are joining, you know, there there was that saying, and it's still true to many, many um, degrees that people don't leave a job. They often leave their manager or they leave the culture that that they're that they're finding themselves in. And so, you know, there is a lot of emphasis. There's a lot of focus and companies that aren't paying attention to company culture for all of their staff. They're going to be the ones really struggling. So when we think about junior talent, we think about team. It comes back to how. How how much of a sense of belonging do those uh, employees feel? Do those people feel? Yeah. How welcome are they made? How much, um, you know, in terms of empowerment or that ability to bring their skill set and to use their skill set on the team? So, uh, you know, across the board, what we find in organizations that we work with is when we get the basics right in an organization, and that's communication, that's respect, you know, that's um, giving people autonomy and agency. When we get that right at every level, we see positive. We see positive performance and, and we, we see that. We see loyalty, if you want to call it that. We see people bringing their best. So, you know, again, it's it's not always about age differentiation or, or demographics. You know, people like to find people they can talk to and that they can relate to. You know, so even in Rafi Park Institute, some of our more recent hires have been, you know, in the 20, early 20s age group and where most of us are between 40 and 55, you know. So it's like, gosh, who can they talk to? You know, who can they, you know, what's their outlets? You know, what are we providing for people across across the board? You know, what is the organization doing to make sure that they have a sense of belonging above and beyond just getting the work done or that they feel part of a team? So when we're thinking about, you know, within a team, what might it be like to join a team that doesn't have a lot of diversity in terms of age profile? You know, that can be tricky, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The same kind of complications can be said when it's a massively diverse spread of ages, you know? So again, it's always thinking about, you know, the individuals coming into teams. What as a manager, what as a leader, what as a HR recruiter or somebody in within the talent space, what does this person need to help them to fit into this organization, to help them to belong, to help them to feel part of it? And so, again, you know, you might see things like buddying. You know, it's quite common where, you know, people can work together just to have somebody to go, oh, my God, that was a tough week. Or, oh, my God, what happens here? Or, oh, my God, where are the pens kept? You know, but somebody that you can talk to that relates to you. So, you know, just again, thinking, um, you know, I can go back to my own organization. You know, it's traditionally an older generation organization. We're starting to recruit younger and we have to think about this. You know, we have to go, wow, you know, 
it's just it's not the same. We have to think differently. And we can't assume that the culture that has existed for the past 76 years in Rafi Park Institute is the culture it needs to be for the next generation coming in. Otherwise, we're not going to feed the pipeline. You know, we're just not going to get the staff. Absolutely. And it's all about kind of remaining open to changes and, and to kind of new suggestions, but also also, sorry, coming back to exactly what it is that kind of instills those values in the first place and what drives the the company culture and and makes it what it is among the people that have been there for so long because there are definitely benefits in that too for sure and even you know like certainly the work we're doing with organizations around their cultures right now because you know what got you here might not get you there you know so (laughs) you know what do we know about those generations that are that are coming in or generations across the board that we're trying to attract in, you know, so we're not just talking about bringing in, um, you know, new talents and, and bringing in people from younger generations across the board. What do people, you know, COVID was a big smack in the face for many organizations to actually say, stop and look at what you're doing because you can't keep doing this. And the organizations that were, that were already, you know, hybrid or, blended you know sometimes I've conversations with those and they, you know leaders in those organizations they look at me and they go this isn't such a big deal like we were doing this well way before COVID happened you know um, and, and yet there's a panic that you know oh, we're not doing this right whereas there's so many case studies out there of people that are getting this right day to day so you know the answers exist but we have to be willing in our roles actually potentially look outside our organization look outside our industry in order to learn what we should be doing yeah completely agree i mean we have a good question here that seems like a kind of natural lead on uh, from the conversations that we had so far so uh, andrew from king's college in london asked whose responsibility is it to help future graduates manage intergenerational differences their local team senior leadership of the organization the individual or should they be prepped at earlier stages for working environments from places like their universities or colleges I love this question. I love this question because this question has to be not only asked, but this question has to be answered once and for all. I mean, how many years have have people been talking about the gap from university into the workplace? Okay. so when we start to answer this question, I think that responsibility lies in multiple places. Yeah, for sure. And so there's no there's no one silver bullet for this there's no one clear answer however there are brilliant opportunities now to put together programs workplace readiness programs um you know that potentially are done with universities but by you know private sector public sector organizations so creating proper partnerships to bridge that gap However, what we also know about generations coming out of university, again across the globe, is that there's a tendency for these generations to be involved in more than just their studies. So some of them are in charities, in committees, in teams, where they're getting exposure to different generations already, but just in in different contexts. So, you know, there's a lot of richness um, already coming out, you know, because we're seeing this again, uh, a, you know, kind of this interest um, and passion to be part of more than just university, be part of more than just a workplace. So again, the moment is here where these these 
future employees or these employees were getting ready for organizations, they have a lot of answers themselves. They know what they need in terms of help. It's just we need organizations that are brave enough and institutions, academic institutions that are brave enough to go, OK, let's try something in this space. Let's stop talking about it and let's try something. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know there are initiatives I know, and, and I'm absolutely not taking away from that. But this needs to be a very conscious effort um, because, you know, as workplaces are changing with flexibility still being a key driver, you know, how people uh, belong to an organization if it's hybrid, how people belong to an organization if there's a lot of remote working. There are different skill sets required and why wouldn't we help in that? So I would see that responsibility for that. You know, I think that industry and education need to talk much more seriously and more urgently about this um, yeah. uh, and genuinely. Um, you know, I know of one organization that's talking to, to us about this. So I, you know, I can start to see things moving, but something has to actually happen. It's not just talk. Yeah, um, but it's, yeah <laughs> and it's also helping the, the students moving into that employment phase. It's helping them to understand what they're actually bringing with them already. Because sometimes until you're in the context, you don't know how to use your skill set. You don't know how you, you know, you, you don't know the value of the toolkit that you have. So, you know, some of it is just helping in that case. And again, you know, who's the best place for that? You know, HR, talent, OD, they're the amazing skill set in helping people realize their own potential in that space. You know, you've got career coaching, you've got. So there's I don't think we're short of the expertise. It's yeah. the drive to put the initiative in place and it's the understanding of that the value that that would bring to the organisations as well. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, we attended the uh, ISE um, launch of the survey that they do annually. Um, earlier this week and there was some fantastic insights I mean namely one of them that's particularly relevant to what you've just mentioned is that there is a significant uptake uh, that happened kind of this year and that is forecasted for the next year with regards to uh, placements, internships, work experience opportunities and those in a sense kind of act as I guess you could say a gateway to that kind of space where you do get that experience with a kind of lesser pressure of having the the know-how to implement your skills in that space. Um, I will move on to the next question and these are uh, we've got two in a row and they're both from quite different perspectives so this will be really interesting. Um, Tyrese, one of our graduate mentors uh, of BDR Group, asked as a manager younger than their direct reports, what is the best way of earning respect and having uh, colleagues understand that you are the decision maker? <laughs> yes, I feel the pain of this because in my current role as CEO, I am one of the youngest on my team. Um, and again, I'm working with an amazing executive team who have all, some of them have been in work twice as long as me. And, you know, I have to get that, them to trust that the decisions that I'm making um, are the right ones. So I completely get this. And again, we can see this not just, you know, early to, to early stage career. We can see this across our career, right? We can see this in, in, in many, many ways. So brilliant question. And a lot of this is to do with credibility and action. And, you know, first of all, it always comes back to does the manager in question, whoever you are, do you back yourself in your decisions? Yeah. OK, because if you back yourself and you understand why you're making this decision, 
then you know that's half the battle. The other side of it is really about communication. So often where things go wrong in organizations, it's it's because we forget about the one key part of communication, which is the why. As managers and as leaders, we often know exactly, you know, we've got this whole thing mapped out in our minds. It's so clear to us why this is happening. And we forget to tell other people why. Okay, so there's a few things. So first of all, backing yourself in your own decision making is key. Secondly, being clear with others as to why this decision is being made is important. And thirdly, where you can and where it's reasonable to do so, bring other people into that decision making process with them. But, you know, again, there are times when you have to say, because I said so. And, you know, being able to step into those moments with confidence as well, especially, you know, it's so easy. And I get this now, I'm, I'm in this role. It's so easy for people to sit down and go, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, you know? And it's like, well, you know, yeah. so, you know, we talk a lot about authentic leadership. You know, we talk a lot about um, kind of management skills. Um, so a lot of this is around self-compassion. You will make mistakes. You will choose the wrong things. Other people will be so quick to tell you you've done that. But, you know, again, just thinking about what, what, when and why will you bring other people into that decision-making process? And when and why will you just make those decisions? So a lot of this is to do with trust. It's to do with credibility. It's to do with your own confidence and skill set. Um, and again, thinking about, Oh, how can you use your team and a manager's job? While, of course, we get the day to day done, a manager's job is to also enable that team to do their best work. So, again, if you have, you know, that going back to that very first question, if you have a diverse skill set around you that can help you make the best decision, why wouldn't you draw on those? On that, you know, um, and so, again, get rid of that myth because I'm a manager and because they, they know more than I do about this job, this industry you know, all pressures on me, absolutely flip that on its head and go, right, we're all in this together. What do you all think? I will make the final decision. But share share your knowledge, share your expertise with me. And it's amazing how when people feel listened to, respect rises. You know, yeah. when they feel genuinely listened to, respect will rise. Yeah, brilliant. So, um, the next question, like I said, this is a little bit kind of opposite to the question that we've just had. So uh, Tony uh, of Dynamics Consultants asked, as someone who is approaching retirement age and has been in the IT business since 1976, now working with apprentices straight out of school, what would be the best, me best methods of communicating? Brilliant question. Well, you know, what amazing changes and journey uh, Tony has been on, I'm sure. Um, so in terms of communication, organizations are going to have their own ways of doing this. So, you know, there's do's and there's don'ts in terms of communication across. I, I was even I was taken by your slides at the beginning, uh, Georgia, where you said, you know, and if you have any more questions, DM, you know, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, gosh. There's so many on my team that would go, sorry, what's a DM? You know, uh, and, you know, it's funny how in our own in our own worlds and, and what we bring into our roles, we can get really comfortable with our, you know, with our shortcuts because our of, of what we're so used to. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. So what we're finding organizations are spending a little bit more time on is 
organizational communication. You know, what as an organization do we think effective communication is? So, you know, you'll get you know, very, very um, obvious examples. You get really long emails that won't get read. Doesn't work. OK, if that doesn't work, well, you know, what do we need to do instead? So, you know, how if you're if you're training and if you're uh, working with with people at, at different levels, a great uh, there can be a great learning in this is to actually start that open conversation about what works for you in this space you know how do how do i know that the time i'm spending with you is is actually of value because what i'm saying is making sense to you so yeah. unfortunately there again there's no app for getting this right there's no technological solution we have to go back to having conversations with people to go you know are are we hearing the same things are are you understanding the way i'm communicating with you and to be honest with you, yes, we can have this across generations, but we can have this with just two different mindsets, you know, in terms of, of how people are programmed to take in information. So, you know, having, again, very human conversations around what works best for you. Well, that, you know, I'm not sure about that because I, I don't know that I could be effective in that. And what's our middle ground? And while it can seem to take a little time, it's worth it because if you can get your communication right, yeah, you're going to move faster uh, and you're going to move further. So the human conversations, you know, communication <laughs> is all about the human conversations. And it's amazing how, like, you know, my chairman won't, won't mind saying this, it's chairman of Robin Park Institute, he's 73. And last week I got him using voice notes, you know, so, uh, and, you know, this is a new that. world, you know, so we've started to, you know, it's, again, this is like a bit of reverse mentoring that can happen in these situations as well, Tony. So I'm sure, you know, Tony's picking up new things and his apprentices are picking up new things. And it just means that with every interaction, there's a refinement. You know, our skill sets are renewed. They're refreshed. We have more in terms of how we communicate with people. Yeah, but you have to be brave that. and have the human conversations. It takes a lot. And I think every question that we've had, it kind of it all does really circle back to communication, doesn't it? So it's definitely an invaluable skill. Um, Sasha at Conductor asked, how do you train and develop line managers to manage an intergenerational team? And I think that all kind of really boils down to the support of the organisation. What what would be your take on, on that? If you were to ask me what job I would not like in an organisation now, it's a management role, okay? because <laughs> it is so complicated to be a manager these days, isn't it? You know, before COVID, it was like, get this done and we find a way to do it. Since COVID, the expectation that people have across the generations, but mainly from, you know, kind of the last three. So if we go Gen Z, we go with uh, the millennials, like that, that kind of group. But you have a group in the middle as well. You've got Gen X in the middle as well that really like flexibility, you know, and um, the more traditional workers, baby boomers, your silent generation at the top, yeah, they'll get back to work because that's what they're programmed to do. There is an expectation on managers that COVID has placed that you are not only in charge with the tasks, you are in charge with the care of the people. Now, I know management should always be like that. However, we're bringing more of ourselves into the workplace. And so not only different intergenerational complexities, but also just life coming into the workplace as well. So a manager's role has become extremely complicated. And we did a piece of research on this quite recently in Rafi Park. And one of the big challenges 
that managers are facing is understanding when they can make decisions about things and when they cannot make decisions about things. And when it comes to their team, you know, managers really need autonomy to set their team up to really enable diversity to be a positive part of the work and not um, a blocker, as we said earlier, or not something that gets in the way of work being done. So managers need more training. Managers need more understanding in what, how do I capitalize on difference because it's going to bring value to the whole team? How do I create an environment where people can be themselves, bring themselves and get the work done? How do I communicate in different ways? Because sometimes I just need to talk to somebody for five minutes and I need them to hear me in that five minutes. You know, um, so there is more training and the challenge with your management. So if you can, if maybe you are a manager or maybe, you know, you're the teams, if you can think of them in your mind. The challenge with getting managers out is that they never have time for training because they've got so many plates spinning. But again, unless we can give them the break, allow them to step back a little bit and really understand for themselves, what are they being challenged by? So when they look at their team and they see these different generations and they see these different age groups, you know, if, you know, if I were to survey 10, 20 managers, you'd have a different range of challenges. So it's it's not, again, it's not a quick fix. And we need to understand, you know, your managers need to understand what skills they have in terms of working with this team and what's really challenging them. Sometimes it can be about um, stopping or um, correcting an older member of the team because they might not feel right at that. Sometimes it might feel like they want to kind of push in a different direction, you know, somebody else on the team, but they don't know how to communicate that message across. So what are the specific management challenges? You know, there's obviously the broad stroke ones are to do with communication. They're to do with um, prioritization, task management, delegation. You know, they're always the good ones that management training can focus on. But when you're thinking about the complexity of management and all the asks that managers have, it's it's worthwhile actually really understanding if, you know, if we could change one thing about your management practice, what would it be that would have the biggest impact? And sometimes that's where we need to start with an organization. Again, it's back to our first point. We've got to understand the problem yeah. we have in order to really get a solution that's going to work. But it's not going to happen by osmosis. There's going to have yeah. to be conscious thought, effort and training put into this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, this kind of next one leads on quite nicely in terms of uh, maybe some kind of support tactics for uh, younger or more junior members of staff. But Sophia from a publicist group asked, what support would you recommend as a priority for entry level talent uh, during their first kind of few weeks? It goes back, I know it sometimes can feel like it's almost a little bit repetitive, but I think this gives us scope to explore a little bit more, but there's definitely scope for this question yeah i hope for sure so you know again in the first few weeks you know what's going to be of most benefit you know what, what do we need to be able to navigate our organizations and, and to understand our role so again understanding how the organization communicates because it's different and you know came from animation 
they had their own language. I come into Rafi Park. The first thing we do is we try and get an acronym for everything. Like if we could just speak in letters, we would. From the outside world coming into that, people are like, what is going on here? Makes perfect sense to us, you know? So there's a language. There's there's a rhythm to every organization. And, you know, helping people to understand how to get into that rhythm, how to learn that language and, and use that language in confidence so that communication just makes more sense. I would love to be very, um, uh, very uh, open and say, imagine if we got rid of all of that stuff, but the you know, organizations are too busy to be that mindful. So, you know, how can we help? absolutely help help with communication help to understand that help to understand the real authority that people have okay so often in in, in a new role you're learning it you're learning your place but we generally have a little bit more scope than we might think and as somebody coming from you know younger generation less experience you know really helping them to understand you know what space they have around them to make their own decisions to be autonomous you know to reach out but one of the key things that's being talked about in the literature, and I really agree with this, is helping new people to build their network from the start. And that network should comprise people from all generations across different business areas so that when they, you know, they might not know why they need that person in their network now, but there can be a time where they go, do you know what? I need somebody who's been through this before and it's none of my peers. It's somebody else in the organization. So, you know, helping with network, helping with communication and helping with understanding their own autonomy, their own agency. It's critical. And sometimes we overlook it. Yeah, agreed. I think um, in terms of kind of taking note of of the many, many different uh, roles that the attendees in this uh, discussion have with us today. Uh, so acquisition advisors, HR leads, uh, careers consultants. Is there anything that you think should be kind of a, a standard, I guess, that that we should have um, in order to prepare our managers and leaders that rely on us um, for these types of conversations and changes that might come from having a diverse uh, generational team? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. I think helping helping all managers around intergenerational diversity. So we used to do quite a lot in Singapore, and this was really common, really common. However, organizational culture and culture was so strong that the difference was a lot less because the culture really impacted how those generations worked. You know, there was a yeah. lot of, of conformity. In organizations in the UK, in Europe and in other parts of the world, there's an expectation of, you know, initiative and innovation and, um, you know, belonging to come out in, in very different ways. So depending on the nature of your organization, because I imagine there's many on the call that have, you know, this challenge in different geographical regions, which won't be fixed with the same solution, you know, so really helping managers to understand themselves, first of all, what value, what is the value set of my team? Because when the manager sees it, it's much easier for them to understand and to help communicate that to the team members. If the manager's not even thought of it, or if the manager's going, I'm so exhausted trying to manage all of this difference that I can't see the good in it. Just give me five people that are all the same because my, you know, it, it'll just be easier. Um, and of course it would be. 
But that's not the point. The point is that you want the best people in the best roles so that they can do their best job. So a manager's job is to be able to understand what is it that my team have? What are the skill sets and what's that combination that when I put them together, I know I'm going to get, you know, X or I know I'm going to get Y or I will absolutely not put that combination together because it's just not going to work right now. So a manager really needs to understand, you know, from an emotional intelligence perspective, from a skills perspective, looking at that whole the holistic nature of the team. But it has to start with the manager and the manager also has to understand the manager's influence on this team and how this team works. So if I'm a very nervous manager or apprehensive because I'm not sure how to manage, the team are going to pick that up. You're leaking. You're leaking all the time. So how managers understand themselves, their own biases, their own assumptions about the team and potentially, you know, how we might challenge those assumptions in order to come out with a different um, a different outcome. Brilliant. That's a fantastic kind of perspective. I think a lot of people will see the value in that kind of takeaway. Um, we're going to move slightly more towards hybrid working now. So yes. we're kind of in the last phase. And I think this in itself is just it's so, so huge. Um, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, it's impacted absolutely everyone from every corner of the world actually quite frankly um in terms of hybrid working and and the changes that that's had on every single business um one particular question that i think is a really great one um is from uh, adela pike from pro forest um and they asked how can we manage peaks and lows of project work which might require overtime when younger generations are resistant to commit to such kind of overtime within their business interesting i, I would love to know more about this question because you know again um how how are we asking for work to be done um so I'm assuming that there are people probably on the call that say uh, that might not be such an issue for the, the younger workers I have, as in as in it's 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 not always a, a, a broad stroke trait that we see. So I suppose resistance to and commitments, you know, one of the one of the big um, trends in research is looking at work ethic across generations and values across generations within the workplace. So, you know, traditionally, again, the silent generation, that's the, the oldest generation we find in the workplace and the, the baby boomers, the next one. Traditionally, work ethic, very high, commitment, very high, you know, civil service, I'm in this for life, this is my company, this is what I do, and I will do what I'm asked. At other generational levels, there's a different work ethic. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's not seen, but, you know, generally speaking, there's different, there's also different values. Yeah. There's different values is, you know, thinking about actually I need work-life balance versus, you know, I will do whatever this organization needs me to do. So understanding the, the value system of the people that you're attracting into your organization is going to be key because, and, and sometimes I've seen organizations fall into this trap of themselves. They've told beautiful stories about flexibility and work-life balance. They've told those stories. Yeah. 
And in reality, it's like, well, actually, no, you not this week. You know, I need you to do this. And so sometimes employees rebel because you this is not what you sold me. Yeah. You know, and is that right? So in some cases, you know, if you've got somebody constantly saying no to you, you could have a performance issue on, on your hands rather than this being a generational piece. Yeah. You know, but really outlining at the forefront and you know, there's always time to go back. It's not always ideal, but understanding the requirements and laying out the expectations it comes back to communication. What are we asking our staff to do at every level? What, what expectations does this organization have? And this is where leaders can be useful and can be really detrimental yeah. because we always know people look up. And so if they see, you know, as, as a different example, if they see emails going at night, if they see messages coming at the weekends, the message those leaders are sending is you're supposed to be working all the time. Now, for, for particular people, arguably, you know, correct, but I'm not signing up for that. I never signed up for that. And you're not going to get me to do that now. So part of it could be attitudinal, in which case, you know, going to have to have those conversations. Part of it could be a mismatch of values. And again, we're going to need to understand that more. And part of it can be we haven't explained how this works properly. We've assumed yeah. it's just going to be OK. So, again, a number of things coming in. And there's always somebody on the team, no matter how busy they are, they'll just do it. And you're like, oh, I'd like 10 of you. If I could have 10 of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't that would have to deal. But, you know, again, this is diversity. Yeah. This is diversity. And Diversity is going to require much more understanding, much more conversations, you know, and, and really more. I, I don't mean negotiations in, in that kind of win-win situation, but I mean negotiation conversations so that we can really understand the positions that we're in as employee and employer. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, Tammy, thank you for your contribution to the chat. Um, Tammy's elaborated saying, I think over time is a question of ownership. How can we encourage more junior members of the team to really own their projects, take responsibility for them and hence show commitment to delivering them, which might include over time? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. And we, we work with managers quite a lot on this. Um, because again, sometimes managers are brilliant for creating that space for junior members to step into, to have a go, to get some things right, to get some things wrong and for it to be OK. I've also worked with managers who have created that space and watched people fall on their faces and then given out to them for it. You know, so managers really can play a key role in terms of helping set people upright for their next stretchy challenge. Yeah. But just <laughs> not letting go. Like, like just help through that stretchy challenge yeah. because it's only through confidence. I mean, we learn so much when we're put into those situations where we have to be accountable, where we have to be responsible. But certainly what I have seen in my work is the culture of the organization is key for this. So if fear, if deception, if that is how the predominant, like if there's a toxic organizational culture, no one is going to want to own anything because if you yeah. get it wrong, you know, you're going to get screamed at and it doesn't matter what age or generation you're you're belong to. You know, you understand this. So accountability and ownership is going to come much more easily, whether it's on a team or whether it's in an organization that really allows people to have a go to learn from that, uh, you know, and, and be supported through through that stretchy phase. As well. Yeah. And I mean, it all really comes back. I know that. Um, when we had our kind of discussions before this, we were talking about kind of the role of of management in that situation and actually how 
management has changed so much throughout hybrid working that you may have had kind of a manager that's really got a very strong open door policy that might not know how to kind of translate that to a hybrid working environment um and others that have adapted to it really well and have managed to kind of encourage maybe or had an easier time encouraging younger generations to utilize uh, the the platforms that we have in place to keep that channel of communication open and where actually maybe there's some more struggles with kind of older generations who maybe aren't as confident using technology or, or don't feel that there's kind of the personal level that encourages you to open up about some kind of issues that you might be struggling with what would your suggestions be for kind of remediating that on on both ends so i suppose there's three generation there's three generations to think about in this um you know what what we understand from research is those that benefit most from in work face to face yeah okay so they benefit least from online okay, yeah are those at the top end of their career so so those in the the last stage of their career because they have always done business face to face yeah. they know how to do this they're experts in this they value relationships okay yeah the new um, members of staff so, so the new recruits because how do you learn about an organization if you never really experience it yeah right okay so and and how do you build that network and, and all of these skills that you really need to thrive in your career you know how can you have that and of course you know I know that there's organizations that always will disprove this rule but there's a very critical um generation as well and that is parents in the middle or carers people within those generations so could have people who are caring for whether it's children or caring for parents and you see parent, the, that parental group now a report came out this morning on this here in Ireland and it was reported on and it was to say that if you don't have flexibility for this generation these generations you're going to lose them from the workforce and we're going to go backwards okay right. so if hybrid goes away for this people who are in this part of their life you are at risk of losing your talent because they now understand how to be flexible in some cases they're only back in the workplace because of the flexibility that hybrid allowed yeah so you know so when you think about generations and you think about those ages you think about life stages you've got people from for whom hybrid and flexibility is what's allowing them to work you know yeah. so so again thinking about the generations there's 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 going to be challenges at every you know regardless of generations there which generation you belong to there will always be challenges and something new will come in some new process some new policy some new platform it's going to cause us to be just like uncomfortable it's going to cause us to to go backwards go forwards there's always going to be these challenges but there's these big warning signs from across the world that are going be careful of how you treat particular generations at particular life stages because you could be just sending your talent out the door so you got to help those that need that face-to-face -face time you've got to help those at either end and you've got to help those that really are benefiting from a balance between um being at home being able to work online and being face-to-face -face as well because it's a key part of so many organizations demographics that you could just be saying goodbye to absolutely in, in pursuit absolutely. of another agenda yeah 
absolutely right and I mean um, I think we've probably only got just about enough time to cover one more question um, I think we may have touched on this slightly but it would be good to see if there's anything that you can add uh, what are the key benefits of using a flexi benefit scheme for attracting recruiting and retaining individuals from intergenerational talent pools yeah, so again the research is telling us right now that where flexibility is is offered genuine yeah. where it's part of you, you see it in the job you see it on LinkedIn and yeah. you know you see more recruitment uh, more applications for uh, flexible roles okay so yeah. employees still want flexibility now I heard the term what was it called the return to office agenda or something like that I think that's going to be the new buzzword for HR and OD to deal with uh, you know, keep an eye people are that. trying to get people back, you know. Yeah. Um, however, you know, if work can be done in a hybrid way and if it makes sense to do so for the organization, then, you know, you've got to understand in this change. What's the gain? What's the gain for the people? What's the gain for the clients? What's the gain for the organization? And what will we lose through the change? So, you know, I'm working with so many organizations right now that are really trying to get their model right. And yeah. there's so many organizations that I know of that were waiting for this to get a title, which is the return to office agenda. Now it has a title. Now it's a thing. Now I'm happy because everyone is coming back. There is going yeah. to be a cost to that. There is yeah. going to be a cost to that. Um, and, you know, again, so what we know is employees still want flexibility. It's yeah. their number one. And in fact, the, the research report, I can't remember the name of it offhand, but they said that it's not the perks. It's not the money, it's the flexibility. Now, if yeah. if employees are saying that, that is a powerful message for organisations to ignore. Yeah, agreed completely. And at, at the risk, isn't it, of, of if you do follow that, I mean, um, one of the takeaways from the panel, as I mentioned the other day, we were at the student uh, recruitment survey launch. One of the takeaways from uh, a public sector organisation was that, uh, they have always had in-person work the only time and they, and they made it very clear before going hybrid that the, they would return straight after to the in-office work um, and it was about all about authenticity and just owning it if that is the if it's ingrained in your values that the business runs in that way and it runs well then owning that will still attract the right candidates yeah. for that role so I think that's a, a massive takeaway. Um, I think we are kind of coming to the end of our um, time. It's been uh, incredible. I think we've got some really, really great, very clear takeaways there. Um, so thank you so much for your time, uh, Arlene. Um, I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Arlene has kindly uh, offered her time over the next kind of 24 hours um, for any additional questions so if there is anything that sparks in your mind shortly after we say goodbye today and um, please do utilize the LinkedIn forum and um, Dan and I will keep an eye on that as well um, and we can always kind of feed on from that um, just before we go uh, we do have a GRN winter social coming up so it's on the 16th of December from 6 till 8 and um, I have just noticed on on this topic uh, we do have a QR code here so for any of you that aren't uh, kind of familiar with these please do get in touch um, either on LinkedIn 
or via email and we can share those details with you. Uh, we'd love to see as many of you there as possible for a nice relaxed evening uh, with some colleagues within the industry. Uh, massive thank you. Uh, if you need graduates for RPA or volume recruitment projects, uh, you can always reach out to me. Uh, these are my details. And again, if you would like any additional information uh, from today, please do let me know. We will be sharing the recording of this email, uh, of this webinar, sorry. Um, so if you do have any other questions or follow-ups, uh, just use the details on the screen. But thank you very much, Arlene. It's been really a pleasure to have you on today. Um, so yeah, take care, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.